The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be streamed live. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new and a little different, little different critical and thinking podcast, Ty Barnett. And I normally say Ian Harris, and then he takes over from there and continues the intro. But this time, I am joined by a special guest host because Ian is in Mexico doing some fight shit. Uh, I am joined by a special guest host, the hilarious and very opinionated, which is one of the reasons why I wanted on the show. Please welcome to the show, Maya DiGiorgio, you guys. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very opinionated. <laughs> yes. I, love I tried. That. I, just a quick backstory for the people watching. I um, I'd, I'd seen the the Allen versus Pharaoh documentary, and then I happened to be scrolling through Facebook, and then I saw your post, and I think you said something like, uh, basically to paraphrase, he's a piece of shit. Some shit. Like that. And I was like, I don't I don't I don't swear on my Facebook page because I, I just I just I have too many people in my family. I don't swear. My, but yeah, paraphrase. thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I should have you as an interpreter for me all the yes, time when I'll I'm. I'll be your uh, what's that when uh, the Key and Peel sketch, the Obama. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, be that. I'll be that for you. I'll, I'll say all the stuff that you want to say. What she's trying to say is this. What she's trying to say. A professional um, cusser. Okay. Exactly. I'll be a professional cusser. You know, what I'm I get it all out because you know when my mom is around, I'd be like, I'm sorry. What did you say now? <laughs> So luckily, my mom doesn't know how to get on Facebook. So she was. She, <laughs> so anyway, um, I wanted you on the show. First of all, give people your background. Tell them a little bit about you and uh, your career, because you're you're a very established stand up and you've been around for a while. Every time I see old footage of you, like on on uh, was it uh, Def Jam or was it? What was yeah. It? Was it, uh, yeah, it was Def Jam. Apollo. Well, it was something I saw you on from way back in the day, and I was like, oh, that's right. She's been in the game for a minute. That's what's up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I uh, I'm a comic that started with uh, started Uptown Comedy Club up in Harlem, nice. and um I w- but I grew up in the performing arts. So my uncle was a choreographer and tap teacher. He taught the Heinz Brothers. Um, oh, wow. And my mother was a, what they'd call a chanteuse. And she was, she sang in seven languages and it was a concert level pianist. And they were very, very, you know, there was a very, a very small, um, and it was funny because I was, I was speaking with Lenny Kravitz about this. It was a very small group of incredibly artistic bourgeois black folks that lived on the Upper West Side <laughs> that, that, um, that everyone knew each other, like the Tony Morrisons and, and like his mother and this very small Odetta, all these great artists. And that was a group that my mother, um, my mother, had us raised in and um then we moved to new jersey so it was like dung 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 as we didn't oh. also yeah i didn't realize that we were going to run into um uh families that weren't as culturally diverse as my father my father is a sicilian but he came off the boat from sicily and you know he remembers the boat ride he was born in africa during wow. the war i mean yeah so i have a very culturally mixed um very rich family background which makes for stand-up comedy i should <laughs> I should have been a singer. My mother wanted me to be a singer and a jazz percussionist, which I was when I was young. But um, I think the the pressure of the family's uh, bred a big mouth comedian. And that's a hey, you know what uh, I am. I I can't even tell you what uh, what I was supposed to be. I don't know. I have no. You don't know. I have no idea. I, all I know is I started telling jokes. And then uh, my mom, when, when I told her I was quitting my job at a pharmacy to do comedy, her first response was, Okay, uh, what are you gonna do for money? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna tell jokes. She's like, they're gonna pay you to tell jokes. I'm like, I hope so. 
Yeah, I hope so. So, <laughs> what part of t- where where were you? Gr- where did you grow up? Chicago, Southside. Oh, okay. Racing. I know. It, okay. It, that's it, I, I'm so Chicago that I can never just say Chicago. I have to say Chicago, Southside, Seventh Third Racing. <laughs> Who you know? You know somebody? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I hear you. So, so yes. Um, but thank you again for joining the show. For everyone else, uh, just so you know, Ian is out of the town for a while. He's working on some stuff, but he will be back next week. The topic of this show, though, uh, is the Allen versus Pharaoh documentary. And I watched all four parts. Anyone watching the show, by the way, please feel free to chime in. If you have any questions for Maya, please ask her. We will both answer your questions. But uh, so we both have seen all four parts. Mm -hmm. And here's my thought process on this. I believe I'm with Dylan. Mm -hmm. I'm with Dylan. I'm with I'm with uh, I, I am of the side of. How do you watch this? How do you watch this documentary and see all see all the testimonies, see how she had uh, gave the same story all these different times mm-hmm. and not walk away believing her? Because a lot of stuff didn't a lot of people didn't even want to believe her. I mean, this is when Woody Allen was popular and, and making movies and everyone loved that, which, by the way, understand something. What One of the things I hate the most is when people say, well, it's hard to separate the artists from the from the art it's hard to separate them they, they said the same mm-hmm. thing with r kelly and to that i say bullshit you you can say i i never said that woody allen is not talented he is a great director but he is also a fucking pedophile mm-hmm. he can be both mm-hmm. so my question to you is why do you think it's still that type of mentality for people to to elevate the talent and try to bury the 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 crime well, I, I, I think that one of the the issues is um, it's, it creates like a cognitive dissonance with people. And so people's minds want to go and they want to stay in the safe zone. And until they have absolute proof that they don't want to let let go of things like for me, I, I was very strong. Uh, Bill Cosby. Pro Bill Cosby. I feel that Bill Cosby's cases, though, I feel like, you know, it, I think it's also you get to be. You, I believe you actually get to be, um, our society has taught us always that you believe the man and that women are not to be believed. And that's, that's, it's just kind of how our society is. It's, it's been within us forever. It's been within our cultures forever. It's in our families. If something happens as a woman in your family that you, you know, that you're going to, you'd be the shamed one before. So it, it depends on the culture. I mean, it, I think it's, it's a, it's a cultural upbringing and, but it's, it's not to empower women. I'm, it doesn't I'm, empower I'm women. I was surprised by that. I mean, I was surprised to hear that in, in the documentary. I actually would have thought it would have been the opposite, <laughs> that that women would believe, be believed more than the men. Well, you're also a black male. If you look at um, in, in my black side of my family, I have all strong women. But if you're on the other side, you're required to kind of men run the cultures. So... And you're not supposed to. I mean, that some of these cultures that are like I know the Italian cultures or or the Latino cultures. A lot of those cultures that they're women who are constantly being raped in the family, and they just don't say anything. And the woman is shamed, and it's expected of the man. Um, you know, the black household is, I'll gra- you know, grab a pot and crack his skull open. You know, <laughs> that was that was always. You know, you, you're not. I have never. I didn't know that there was a need for women's rights with my mother growing up because she was so strong that it. 
it was it was but women really ran the run the black household whereas in in the other societies different cultures you have to look at how how things are propped up and how you learn um what what your value is that's true that i can see that because i was raised by my mom my grandma and and mostly aunties my granddad is the closest to my father figure besides mm -hmm. my actual father so I, I kind of knew growing up, like all of my, most of my perspectives came from women. So, so in my, in my mind, I was always just like, all right, well, this is what it's supposed to be. And you look out for the woman, you take care of the woman. And, and, and now as a father, especially to daughters, I'm really like on some extra hypervigilant mm -hmm. you know, mentality mm -hmm. about it. So when I watch this and, 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 and I kind of, there, there are times where Cause I don't want to, I never want to, I don't want to blame. It's not about putting blame on, cause it's never the blame of the child because the child only does what the child knows. You just see what's mm -hmm. around you. There's a mentality to me as a, even before I became a parent, but definitely after I became a parent of there are certain behaviors you need to look out for certain things that you need to see certain things that you, and you can never catch everything, but there are certain things that I saw in this documentary where I'm like, wait a minute. So the, 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 he comes over to the house, disappears. He doesn't. First of all, why are you disappearing with your child if you know that you're not even supposed to be alone with your child? Mm -hmm. You're not. Mm -hmm. they, they, they said it specifically. They had babysitters there, and he specifically went out of his way to go somewhere where they could not see him and his child. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. let me tell you something, and I mean this with every fiber of my being. If you are a quote unquote parent and you could bring yourself to do something like that to first of all, to any child, but especially your child, burn in hell. Like there is, I have no gray area. There's no gray area for me. So I was a Woody Allen fan. Like, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of movies that I looked at. It's like, oh man, I remember that. I haven't watched a Woody Allen movie in a long time and I don't plan on it. And then people kind of switch over to the Sunni thing. And they said, well, you know, well, technically, I mean, she's not really his daughter and all that, but you're raising her as your daughter. Mm -hmm. You're supposed mm -hmm. to go into it like I'm raising you to teach you values as your father. You don't find your kids attractive. That's nasty. Mm -hmm. say. It's nasty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like I said, so to me, it's so, it was so much wrong even with that. And I remember it was one comment somebody wrote. And they said, well, because I tried to have them on the show to talk about this and they didn't want to come on the show. But um, they wrote, well, she was starting college. And when they found the pictures, I mean, she's probably 20 something when they found the pictures. And I said, let me get this straight. You think the pedophile waited until she became legal, then took pictures? I don't think that's how pedophiles work. Pedophiles are doing, have been doing this for a while. They groom for a while. It's mm -hmm. the same thing with R. Kelly and Aaliyah. And they said, well, when R. Kelly got married to Aaliyah, well, he got married when she was said, no, no, no. First of all, they probably were having sex before that. And if you don't want to acknowledge that, then you're the problem. Well, they said that her high school was around the corner and that the and that the um, the maids came forward that they when they were changing the sheets. And so they they testified as well. I mean, I I think it's just the whole thing is just really hard for me. I've. I've been someone who's kind of a diehard Woody Allen fan. And when the Soon Yi thing happened, I kind of drifted from watching his pictures. Um, and I always try to put myself in this mental state of this was Woody Allen before all of this stuff. But I found his older pictures to be 
like brilliantly hilarious. And I was, I was very much, very, very much, I, you know, I, especially when you're a New Yorker, well, you know, being a New Yorker and coming up in the city. And I always said there was like two cultures. There's not, there's not a Italian, black, Jewish, there's this either the bruisers or the bruisees. The bruisers are like, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. And the bruisees like, wait, 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 let's discuss. We'll have a cup of coffee. And that's that's basically how the city operates. You know, he was a voice for us for so much for so long um, and so much of a. Um, a, a, a spirit for me to want to do independent film and comedy and um, and allow yourself to be vulnerable. But I think that there's also something in the comic culture, and it, we should address this somewhere, I think I'd like to, um, that a lot of these guys, uh, it, it's, you're in a constant abusive environment as a woman, and you, and you learn to joke it off. But the joking it off sometimes, because you're going to be one of the guys, that doesn't really help. Um, right. It's very, very hard to, to maintain, but it's, as men that are, they play something off as funny, they get a lot more room. I mean, you notice even when he went on uh, the show, and like I said, I'm a diehard Woody Allen fan. This whole story, I've never been a Mia Farrow fan. Until I saw this documentary, I have never been a Mia Farrow fan, ever. I just, I mean, I liked Broadway Danny Rose. I thought she was awesome in Broadway Danny Rose. But I think I think that Rosemary's Baby, which is hilarious, because that's the exact movie that Sinatra said, you know, don't do. And because of Rosemary's Baby, I have not been able to watch her. I've always been like, oh, she freaks me out. And I could watch her in Danny Rose because she had the big glasses on and her hair was up here. I mean, she's talking like, you know, <laughs> just like the Italian chicks I knew from the neighborhood, you know. But but what was what was just so hard for me is is I know they had the thing with the brother that came on and he wrote a letter. And look, I, I look, I understand the brother might say Mia Farrell was nuts. I might Mia Farrell might be totally nuts and totally crazy. But no brother is gonna know if the sister was molested or not. I'm sorry, you're just not going to know, especially at her age. The kid was so young, you're not going to know. So I would believe Dylan, but the thing that made me cross the line of not just being upset about um, or like accusing him or did he do it or did he not do it? It was a Mia Farrow was the way he doubled down on how he was going to destroy Mia Farrow. Yeah. That to me is very typical. If anyone who's an, and dealt, dealt with any kind of abuse in your past, that is exactly how they do it. Yeah. They, they and, destroy and, and, you for coming forward. And, and that that's what was uh, a trip to me, because first of all, one part kind of caught me uh, and it, I just started laughing where they're on the phone and she says, uh, uh, are you recording this? Conversation? Are you taping this conversation? And he says, uh, "No, no, no. I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm the last person that knows anything about taping or anything like that." Then his phone rings and he says, "Hello." Oh no, no. Just give me a second. I'm on the phone with me and I'm taping. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't, oh, if, if it wasn't real life, that would have been a scene out of a Woody Allen movie. I'm like, that's exactly. So, but to see that he would lie about something as as that. Made me think like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're 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 totally that type of dude, and the, the destroying her part, trying to discredit her because again, you and it, I always say the number one thing a parent has to do is put the kids first. That's the number one thing you have mm -hmm, to do, mm -hmm. regardless. Even if you don't like the other parent, you mm -hmm. have to put the kids first. And when a person doesn't do that, it tells me something about who they are or the type of person that they are as a parent, because. When you go and you try to discredit this person, which by the way, hey man, this person was already cool with kids when you didn't even want to stay in the same house with her. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
she has a lot more credibility credibility when it comes to raising kids. So when I saw that he went out of his way, you know, with the lawyers and trying to make her seem crazy and all that, and the brother, I, my thing with Moses is I, just stay out of it. If you really have a hard time going against either one, even though, and I'm sorry, you should go with your sister because she's the one that's the victim. But if you have a hard time, just stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go out of your way to try to describe because now you're compounding her pain. And, and, and that's when I, and plus he was already discredited because he, uh, there was a report when he gave his report earlier, uh, he said one thing versus later down the road where he says he was there the whole time. He's like, no. And even Woody Allen in his testimony says, no, Moses was off by himself. So. It, yeah. I, I find, I find that the, like I said, that the problem of the other, a couple other things shocked me. She was like, I was 30 years old and I knew I wasn't going to work anymore in show business. And he's like, the only reason why you're working is because of me. Like that stuff is, that stuff is so brutally painful. All I have to say is thank God for Tyler Perry. Cause like black women are allowed to work as long as, as, as long as you can keep walking now with the change in Hollywood, but to think like, okay, her career is going to be over. You're only working at because 30. of me. It just, yeah. At 30. And now I'm going to completely destroy your career and credibility um, as opposed to be more concerned about, Oh my gosh, this is so horrible for the child. That's you, that, that the child would be going through this. But at that point that there was no shift in the concern for the child, but more for I'm going to destroy you. Look, as a woman who's been in this business, um, who has had traumatic things happen with other males in this business and how far they work to destroy you and make people believe you're crazy. It is, that is probably 10 times harder than almost the entire thing. Yeah. Because because when you start to get to a point where you doubt your own self, that is the most dastardly thing anyone could ever make you do is make you second guess your own better judgment. Right. Now, um, the the whole idea of Mia Farrow maybe not picking up on stuff earlier and it took like the neighbor who was the psychiatrist to say this was inappropriate. Um, you know, people don't know when to pull the trigger on things. But for this poor girl and and the mother to be portrayed as crazy where the, her siblings didn't even touch it. Even Ronan said he didn't touch it, you know? Right. Um, but I find, I find that, I mean, I, it's just such a blessing um, that other, that other people can have their voice on it because just yeah. a few people that will say, you know, this happened to you. Um, it's so hard to believe this thing happens in any household, let alone, you know, but let alone the complicated show business households. And you want to believe the persona um, of the films. But there's another thing, you know, one of his famous lines was I'm working my way up to child molester. You know, he had jokes about that and that was considered appropriate. And people thought that was funny and they still do. It's not just him. You know, you go to the comedy store and it's, it's guys all day long thinking that this is funny and, and trying to uh, pass off bad behavior. And then they joke it off and then they go, Oh, the woman's just crazy. She just wants money. And it, it's time for, you know, and if, and if this is, it's time for at least to us be able to have the ability to hear some information yeah. and, and choose who to support. Cause all this time I was still trying to just not think about it and be like a Woody Allen supporter. Yeah. Let me ask you some, well, let me get a couple questions, a couple comments in really quick, but I want to ask you something as far as 
the shift when the shift happened with people being especially female actresses with, with actresses willing to come out and speak but a couple comments real quick uh tammy says um oh she sent a link to something i'm gonna have to look up uh later but uh todd says it's it was always the woman's fault it was eve's fault for eating the apple and that's fucked up so uh sean says i equally distrust everyone people are terrible and i hate feeling that way sometimes sean but sometimes i agree with you um tammy says here pedophiles are adept at grooming exactly exactly so when people act like oh no he waited till the legal age to start dating his adopted uh, his uh his girlfriend's daughter shut up you sound goofy when you say that Mm -hmm. um and then uh tammy also says uh gaslighting is another component of pedophilia exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so let me ask you this because also in the documentary what they did was they showed how people initially didn't even females didn't believe dylan they were just kind of like whatever whatever they showed um it wasn't susan sarandon it was uh Diane Keaton. It was Diane mm-hmm. Keaton who went there and they when they had the Woody Allen salute and all that stuff, and she defended her stance on that. And then around the Me Too thing, mm-hmm. when she kind of came back, Dylan came back out and said, Okay, I need you guys to hear this. And when people keep first of all, if if, if this girl had been discredited or people had attempted to discredit this girl all this time, and then she just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. That means there's something there because she could easily have said, okay, fine. No one's ever going to believe me. I don't want to say anything. But once the Me Too movement came about, people started taking this stuff seriously. They started looking at the Weinsteins and and Epsteins and stuff like that. But I also noticed that a lot more female actresses felt emboldened. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that was because now she could be more believed? Or did you think that it had to do with more of Woody Allen's cachet had dropped enough for them to feel comfortable coming out against them. Wouldn't you have been able to take down um, the Weinsteins and uh, Cosby? I mean, there's a shot that someone would listen. I mean, I'm still being told. You know, it's interesting. I had a film that was um, a documentary and comedy, and it was buried for many years. And it had everybody in it from Richard Pryor to George Carlin, Ray Romano, Chevy Chase, Whoopi Goldberg, everybody. And I shot this thing in my early 20s. Um, And it got rave reviews in Variety, and we were offered a theatrical release. I was bullied um, through the entire thing. And plus I was in the middle of a sexual harassment lawsuit um, that pushed me into doing the documentary in the first place um, because I got, I lost everything from trying to s- sue for what really was the money out of my contract um, that was broken up by what happened at the, at this uh, radio station. So um, even now, I'm in here and people are saying, because I have hundreds of hours of people like Patrice O'Neill and I mean, all these great comedians um, that no one has even seen, hours upon hours, 600 hours. And um, I'm still being told, don't release the film because it's going to hurt people that hurt you. I'm still being told, well, if you put the film out and it looks like you're complaining about how badly you were treated, um, even though technically I'm, I'm a domestic violence survivor and I went through a program to even get back on stage because I was so triggered about the stuff that happened in comedy clubs. And I didn't even remotely go through what a lot of my female uh, comedians that I had I'd come up with had gone through. Um, I'm still to this day scared. They're going, well, you know, there's only a small window for me, too, because the men are starting to backlash because they're sick of hearing me, too. 
I mean, so you're still going, yeah, how do I posture this? I'm sitting in here every day going, how do I posture this? How do I tell this story without looking like I'm complaining because people don't believe the victim and I don't want to look like I'm the victim. But if I put the footage of exactly what, you know, somebody doing something that's so offensive to me actually on camera, but it'll make them look bad and they're really famous. And then it's going to come back and back. I mean, this, it's still, it's, you know, it's funny. Vanessa Holling said, great comedian. That was like Woody Allen. Vanessa Holling said, great comedian, um, said to me the other day, you know, how long is Me Too going to last? And the fact is, is that it's been happening since the beginning of time and since the beginning of women getting into even being allowed to get into the workplace and being allowed to own property, that it's still considered... Uh, you know, I know some of the cases that some of the male comics are going through. It's a no brainer to me because I was, you know, you see people and you go, oh, you knew that was going on. Um, there are female comics I know that were uh, beaten up for not having sex with male comedians. And then and then the managers come in and say, don't ruin his career. We're going to look out for you. And then 20 years goes by and no one's looked out for her. No, they just brush they her off because they don't want someone who's going to be a witness around that'll make them uncomfortable. So they get rid of the witness. So if a guy hits on you at your job, it's not the sexual harassment. You just say no. But what it is is like, well, now that you said no, you're really uncomfortable to keep in the workplace. So let's yeah. come up with some other reason of why to get rid of you. Meanwhile, you're just trying to do your job. It's it's not okay for women to make money. It's like what it feels like. It's very frustrating. No, very frustrating. and 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 but that and that's why I asked because I I, I remember um uh. A comedian posted something, female comedian posted something on uh, on Facebook, like this long uh, letter about what she had been through. And like, I know her, like we've done many shows together. We've been in many green rooms together. And when I read it, and I'm talking about 20 years in this business, my 20 years I've been in this business and I had never had the picture painted so vividly for me of what females have to deal with because I never felt that. I've never in my life ever felt threatened by a comedy booker, uh, another comedian like that. Never felt that. Definitely never felt sexualized. So when I read that perspective, first thing I did was write her personally and said, first of all, I'm sorry for anything that you have had to deal with in this business because we don't see it as male comics. As male comics, we walk into the room, we chop it up, we do our thing, blah, 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 we go do the show and then we go. I don't know what it's like to walk in and feel like you're being preyed upon. So, mm -hmm. so the first, so I you know, apologize that she had to deal with that. Then I wrote my own thing on there saying to any female comic that's ever had to deal with this, I'm sorry because you should have the same comfort in this workspace as we do. Mm-hmm. Should mm -hmm. be able to walk around and, and 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 not have to fear if someone's trying to sleep with you just to get stage time, and or or anything. So when when you see how bad it is, mm -hmm. as a dude, you feel like, fuck, man, <laughs> what's wrong? Well, that's with that's just man? that's you. you but that's you. A lot of male comedians, if to this day, some of my best friends in comedy, and that I love to death. If they just tuned into the conversation, but oh, there's my just complaining again. And then, you know, no crying in comedy. I used to say that, there's no crying. Remember no crying in baseball? There's no crying in comedy. And then it's just like, it, it gets to be like, okay, so, you know, you just, you just I, I, deal I just, with it. I, I just don't, I don't. And, and that's why I said like, I, that's why I, that was another reason I wanted you on the show because I know mm -hmm. that between 
the Allen versus Pharaoh thing, the um, the Me Too movement, and in a lot of these things you're seeing, the Chris D'Elia thing, a lot of these things, the Cosby thing, because I even and this is what this is why I tell people you have to understand to be able. To, I love I if if you ask me about R. Kelly's music, I love R. Kelly's music. No one can say he can't make a song. Mm-hmm. Great song maker. He's a fucking pedophile. So I don't mm-hmm. listen to him. Same thing with uh, with the Weinstein. Okay, you're, you're good at helping get movies made. But you're a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, as, as, even with Cosby, Cosby was one of the harder ones for me because I looked at it like... Look at the times people were doing, they were popping pills and doing that stuff all the time. Yep. But then yep. you look at it and you say, okay, if any of this is true and you did any of this against their will, you're wrong. Now mm-hmm. I can say that. I can say that and, and not feel like, cause first of all, Cosby ain't paying me shit. He wasn't paying me shit then. He ain't paying me shit now. So I don't have a problem with saying it. What trips me out is the people that, if you're not getting paid by these people, especially if you're not getting paid by these, why is it hard? Why do you think it's hard for these people to just say, yeah, that's wrong? It, I think it's it really just comes to society. I mean, this guy's it's so funny. I'm looking at all this footage and there were so I'm looking at this footage literally from when I was it's all down at the comedy sellers and like and it's great stuff because it's memories. But these guys are doing things that are that the people who are in here editing with me are going, it's so wrong. Like, I cannot believe this person just came up and said that. And the thing is, I love those people. So you're kind of caught in this also love for people. And then you're taught that, yeah, that was messed up as a woman. It, it's so deeply ingrained in us, in our society, that we're just supposed to get over it. That you're supposed to swallow your pride. You're supposed to shrink. As If you're going to be a lady, you shrink. You don't push back. You don't go, hey, that's jacked up. That was wrong. Women are taught to shrink, and that's considered appropriate behavior. If you don't shrink, you're considered a loose cannon um, and uh, crazy because it's you're immediately put in crazy box. Even if you don't do anything, you're, you're automatically in crazy box, really. Yep. So you, you're just taught to kind of just turn the other cheek. And that's, you know, sometimes it happens and you just go like, okay, whatever. And it's not like, and then some guy actually was like, do you insulted because I told you you're pretty? I'm like, you know, you know, you know, you're allowed to say that today. I'm like, give me a break, man. That's, that, that's the least of my troubles. I, you know I what I'm saying? That's I, like, come I, on, man. You're just being a, like, right. I always trip out on that. It's like, first of all, no one's saying you can't pay someone a compliment. And, and for anyone watching the show, and I'll get to these comments here in a second, but anyone watching the show, let me show you two differences of what is accepted and not. Hey, Maya, you look nice today. Did you do something with your hair? Great. Cool. Who's getting offended by that? But if you say, hey, Maya, man, your hair looks great. Check this out. What you doing later on tonight? That's a line crosser. Do you see? Yeah, no, that's not even a line crosser. I'll tell you how my line crossers go. These are my line crossers. This is this is all over my footage. Hey, yo, you're making film? Yo, yo hey, can you fuck in the ass later? Oh, my okay. God. On my film, I must have like 20 of those easily, oh, easily, yeah. easily. And, and from someone I am, I told you, I don't even want to swear when I open this, but this is, and then I got to go, oh, well, I love them. And then, oh, should I put this in my film? Because I've had a rough life. You know what? I had a rough life. You know what I mean? I, I mean, like literally they don't even see, this is the other thing too, is I'm going, wow, 
These people didn't even consider that I was going to finish this film. I mean, Michael Morris sponsored us into Tribeca. We had the largest screening in the history of Tribeca. And, I'm, as, and as much as I can say, I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish the film. But I'm like, there was no consideration that right. I was actually just doing something. Right. That was actually doing something that that my that I was being bombarded. And it's it's really hard. And that now I'm like, well, the story is so much richer because yeah. as a woman, as a woman of color and having to go from mainstream rooms to white rooms to black rooms and all the different dynamics, um, you know, men just aren't real back. And they're taught that it's funny because they say it, you know, male comics are like, I hate to say it, but. I, and I love my New York comics. Those guys are my brothers. I consider them my brothers. Los Angeles, I don't like the Los Angeles clubs. They freak me out. I think this, it's just, it feels I, very predatorial. I have never, um, ever, 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 and it's, I don't know what, I don't know why, but I have never in my head have even thought to say something like that. Uh, by the way, Lamont says, uh, that's a habitual line stepper. Whoever, whoever says that to you. <laughs> um, and uh, and Zen says, if exposing something that happened to you prevents it from happening to someone else, then it should be exposed. Exactly right, Zen. Exactly right. Um, and uh, oh, by the way, Todd said uh, you should put the movie out, but put it online. You know, put it out online. And that's, of course, this. You know, I, I know you have your reasons for doing whatever you want to do with that. And and this, but this is why I said, like, I've never in my mind, never even. And let me tell you something. I give you a prime example. This was years ago. Uh, this is my first time, no, second time auditioning for Last Comic. So this is back in 06 or some shit like that. I don't know when it was, 04, 06, somewhere around there. I had seen this female comedian who I'm still friends with to this day, but at the time I did not know her. I just, I had literally seen her walking through the parking lot and the way she looked, I mean, just beautiful, just fucking amazingly gorgeous, like it, from head to toe. And the first thought in my head was, fuck, she is fine as fuck. Mm -hmm. But when I saw her, I said, hey, how are you? You hear the audition? Great. Because I know, first of all, you can have, a, I'm a man. That's just what it is. If you can see someone's fine, this is what it is. But how you convey that to somebody, especially a colleague, this is, we're colleagues, we are in the same business. I was not going to come across that way to that person because that's not what you do. So, like I said, I've seen very, very, like a ton of beautiful. I, I, I would always joke that I would go to auditions when I first came to Los Angeles and there'd be a certain audition. Let's say it was for a bikini commercial. And you mm -hmm. know how casting offices, like, everyone's sitting there looking the same way. And I remember I'd be, I'd be in the office like, damn, look at all this. Look at all yeah. this. And just yeah. kind of like, okay. So, the fact that people can't do that and they feel like they feel compelled that they got to come up to you and say, hey, how about letting me fuck you in the ass? Those are the people that I can't wrap my brain around. OK, well, because let's bring it to another. Is that you shooting your shot and you hope that she says, yeah, you know what? I wasn't doing anything late on tonight. Sure. Well, let's bring it to another level, another level. Like when I worked for Hot 97, I was on the morning show with Ed Lover. So it wasn't that he would say inappropriate things. It's that he would shut off my mic and say and talk about like raping me on the air, how they're going to rape me after the show. Um, and they would do stuff like um, they talk about, oh, you know, she sucked my dick to get the job station promoted events. He would play porn. Yeah, he would play porn 
behind him when we go into the meetings, um, like some woman going, you know, going down somewhere. Like this was a constant, I'm going to destroy you. It was a constant, I'm going to, and the station hired me to push back. And this went on from, this went on for months. But once you actually say, so when the push came to shove, I said, listen, after the big event when he's like, oh, she, she sucked my dick to get the job and, what, and that, and, you know, this and that. In, in a station promoted, I was there, not as a comedian, I was there representing my, my morning show. Um, it, it becomes, well, either she goes or I go and I got the million dollar contract. So... They, so then you get pushed out for that because then, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's losing my job. It's losing my job to keep someone else comfortable. Right. That's what that's like. You can say any, I'm a comedian. You can say anything you want. I will snap back. I Look, I used to walk on stage uptown comedy club up in sugar shack in the Bronx, all these places. I, uh, I used to play peppermint lounge. I, people just yell white bitch get off the stage. It would have been a lot easier if I could just say I was white. I'd be like, no, no, no. Let me explain. My mother is black. And my, you know, it's just, it was, it was, it made me a better comedian. I have been able to snap myself out of any position. But when you start to do things where you discredit someone, you make people think that they're crazy, which makes you, whenever a woman becomes labeled difficult, I mean, they're guys that were my closest friends in comedy. I still, they still text me every morning, something spiritual, but they're like, oh yeah, you flexed on that lover. That's why you love, you just got, your ego got too big. And that's why you're like, what are you talking about? I had the EEOC investigate that place for six months. And they said they had illegal employment practices. You're gonna, and you're going to sit here and tell me, you're going to sit here and my friend is going to assume that I'm some raging egomaniac and they'll believe that a woman is a raging egomaniac th that, and, the, and, and meanwhile, you're not even getting paid to right. protect some guy that's in position that's making a fortune and destroy your career. I'm a dozen. Here comes the next one. And, and, and I remember clubs even saying, how dare you even sue for that? A club owner was like, how dare you? It's disgusting that you would sue for the money from your contract um, and report that to, to the EEOC. So you, you're shamed. And then it, what happens is that it diminishes, it becomes part of a gaslight where you're starting to go, am I crazy? Was I wrong? When enough people tell you you're wrong for standing up and doing the right thing, yeah. it takes years to find out that you did, you made it better for, I mean, you a decade. Actually did the right thing. That you but had. it took a decade because even, even my own father was like, well, why are you causing trouble everywhere you go? So it becomes, it becomes a lot of, why am I causing trouble? But because I have self-esteem and you raised me with self-esteem, it's very complex and it's very subtle. It's like dealing with racism um, where, you know, you, you don't know where you can, where can you raise the flag because it's, it's not always so overt. And then it's always, well, she's just angry or he's just bitter or he's just angry. And it turns into, they twist it into a jealousy. And that's what to me was, the, the thing that really made me so mad about the Woody Allen thing was watching him double down on destroying her credibility and this poor little girl well, that's, who's that's trapped the in the middle of it. That's that's the guilt. So let me go back real quick uh, and say as as much of a fan of Ed Lover as I was, you telling that story, I can unequivocally say, fuck Ed Lover, just like Corey here is saying as well. Like, and you see now his thing, I could have easily said, Come on, Maya, really? Come on. He doesn't seem like that. He doesn't mm -hmm. seem like that type of person. But I didn't because that's your own personal experience. The One of the people we were going to have on the show today who was a supporter of Woody Allen um, said that he doesn't believe any of the allegations against him because he met him uh, once in passing. 
and he didn't seem like that type of person in passing. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, so you randomly kind of met him once and he does not, I don't think most pedophiles don't come out and pedophile in public. They, they yeah. don't do, they, they, they yeah. do it in private. So hearing your story, like I said, I could, as a dude and as a fan of Ed Lover, I've been a fan of Ed Lover since Yo! TV Raps, but hearing what you just said, the first thought in my head was, man, come on, bro. What the fuck is wrong with you? And and, and I this is why I say, because to, to bring it over to the racism thing, I always tell people, listen, there is no black person I know that wakes up in the morning and says, man, I can't wait to hate somebody today. I can't. I, I hope somebody is racist towards me. We don't. We're always on the defensive. We're always like, man, I just want to live. Can, can I just live? So when you see this being done, because it, it's something about your value. You said something a second ago about self-esteem. Always say one of the hardest things, one of the best and worst things a comedian can have, male or female, is self-esteem. Because the second you have that, the harder it is for you to get work. Because if you take anything, you can work anywhere you want for the bullshit that they give you. But the mm -hmm. second that you know your value, that's when everything becomes an issue. I would always have phone, like I would have people call me up and they say, hey man, Ty, yo, I saw you on this and blah, blah, blah. And dude, you're funny and this and my kids love you and this and that. We got posters and coffee mugs and all, all whatever shit. And I'm like, oh, cool, man, I appreciate that. So let's talk details, talk, let's talk money. Okay, here's the thing. And whenever they start with here's the thing, it's never a good thing. You know, because it, it always comes down to, well, we don't really have a budget. We don't do this. And I remember one time with a club, because um, at, at that point, you know, when you see what you can make and you know the value of credits, when you know the value of your name and, and drawing and promotion. And I remember one club that didn't have me back. I had, I had great numbers there when I was there before. Uh, one of the people who had seen me at the show had written the club and asked him, hey, when are you having Ty Barnett back? And the person, the club owner wrote the person back and said, we'll have Ty Barnett back when he lowers his prices. And wow. I was like, and, and that person wrote me that. And they said, hey, look at what the club said about you. And I said, well, thank you for sharing that, but it is what it is. But that's why I'm not coming back there because these people don't value me fully. So to see this, happen on another scale as far as you being a female as far as you you know because you're, you're you're talented yo, yo i had a i had a guy that had me in it was a club in ohio and the guy has me in and um a headline but he wants me to go out with his friend because his friend is helping him with his kid in college because the guy works at the college mm -hmm. so instead of driving me back to the ho to where i'm staying um the guy it's 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 new year's so the guy says, let's go get something to eat. I want to get something because we had a drink. I want to have something to drink. And then he goes, I don't feel like driving you to where you're staying. So why don't you stay at my house? Oh, I literally it, it, like I literally had to pay. I mean, it was like $70 in Uber. I was like, you guys were required to bring me back because I complained and didn't go home with that guy. The guy has never had me back at the club. And the second I say, I know what it is. It's because of this guy. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. Oh, you're just crazy, Maya. And the fact that you'd say that now I won't have you back at the club. So, I mean, you know, I think this is, it, you said something really powerful, which was always having to be on the defensive as a person of color 
And it's the same thing as, as women. You're always having to be on the defensive. And I think what happens is in, our, in, a, in, a, in a male society, um, because of just the way it has always been, women are always having to be on the defensive. And either you can choose to be on the defensive or you can act like you didn't see what just happened right, and right, you right. just kind of play it stupid. Um, and if you play it stupid and stroke male egos, you get a lot farther. You know, I was very young and I, and you know, my mom passed when I was a kid. So I never really learned that keep my mouth shut. I was just always like, what? And I, you know, I never thought of myself as a female comic. I thought of myself as a funny comic. I literally did. I didn't think there was a difference between me and the male comics. And I would go into a room and I'd follow guys like Epps and Tracy Morgan. And in the beginning, I would bomb. And then when I got funny enough, I could bring it and smash just like those guys and get a standing O. And that was it. And then you put me in the clubs. I never thought of myself. Like, they'd be like, you want to do a woman show? I'm like, why? I want to do a show. I don't want to do a woman show. But all these years later, I didn't realize um, psychologically what was happening to me as being a, a, a woman that was not willing to sleep my way in and around the club and would call somebody on their, on their bullshit. And, 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 the, and the, which you should, but the price that you pay in your ability to make a living um, and how far you can get boxed out and blackballed for being able to be like, yo, like I, this is what I do. And I can, I can roll this. It, it's, it is, it's mind blowing because I never thought of it when I when I came into comedy and I had a very strong start in comedy. Right. Um, you know, my first year I did like five national TV appearances in Aspen and you know, I did my Def Jam and Apollos. And I mean, I, so I could do white and black rooms. The hardest that they were, I could I could still crush in them. But it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with male egos. Yeah. Who, who are you who are you going to stand up to? And, and, and that's why, like I said, white when, male egos too. We, oh, and when anybody, first of all, anybody in a position of power, it, it trips me out. Like, cause you can either use that power for good or you can use it for evil. And, and, and mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of cats use it for evil. Let me get a couple comments in here real quick. Uh, I don't know if this is a question for you, but Zen says, uh, I'm not a comedian, but I think that as comedians, you have to be thick skinned. Shouldn't it be, in the best interest of other comedians to not force fellow comedians to be thick skinned off stage. Uh, also, there's the variable variable that some people are comedians because they're fucked up because <laughs> they're fucked. Oh, I'm sorry. They're, they're comedians because they fucked. Wait, let me hear that. Uh, variable that some people are comedians because they're fucked. You people with some serious. Oh yeah, exactly. Because they're fucked up and people with serious issues. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that as far as fellow comedians, uh, you know, being forcing other comedians to be thick skinned off stage? Because that's true. That's a very good point, Zen, is that on stage we are like, boom, go with punches. You should be allowed to be who you are off stage because on stage is already a, a, not necessarily a persona, but you expect it on stage, off stage. Because I, I would tell people this. My wife says I'm a totally different person on and off stage. Whereas mm -hmm. on stage, I'm, I'm like, hey, here's a joke, blah, blah, blah. But off stage, I'm, I'm reserved. I, I go stay in the corner. I don't say anything. I'm opinionated, but I go off to the corner. Do you agree that, that you know, we should build each other up as opposed to saying, hey, just deal with it? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that that's realistic. I mean, I think that it's like um, it's like football. You know, I used to say if you realize that when you're in that club, whether you're on that mic or not, 
you're going to have people talking trash to you because look, the reason why comedians don't make any money in the clubs is because they wouldn't unionize because they try to start a comedy union to raise the pay, but everybody would go behind each other's backs. So, you know, the problem, that's, that's the problem. So to, you know, you, you sometimes need to look at this is the second you hit that club, you know, you're, you're at work. And if you're on a football field, they're going to talk trash to you. It's so like the trash talking never bothered me because like, you know, when the, before they had tough crowd, it was like, you know, Patrice Norton, Voss, those were my guys. I would roll with them and I would snap just as hard as them. And, you know, but they all had respect. Like the guys, some guy came to me one day and he was like, Oh, said something about what, he thought he, I knew he was a Patrice O'Neill fan. And he said, he came to me and said the most dis- disrespectful stuff. I said, you know what? Patrice was probably the most respectful person to me out of, out of everybody. He would, he literally would come up to me and be like, you know, I don't, I know you don't like the sex talk. I, he was like, I always see you sneaking away. When everybody starts the sex talk, then you tiptoe away. Or he, he would always say something. He would defend me when people were really damaged my career. He was one of the only people who stood up and said, you ruined, you single-handedly ruined her career. To, wow. to some people that, that really shut me down. Wow. Um, but the thing is, is that you, the camaraderie in comedy can be some of the most beautiful things in comedy. In New York, my fellow comedians, um, even though some of them put me through it, um, those are those people I love with all my heart. Like, you know, like, you know, like Rich Bosses, Tony Woods, Vanessa mm-hmm. Hollings. They're people that like you may go in and you have a combat with them. But when we used to hang out back in the day, those people were to me, um, I was rushing back there in there in the holidays. Like I was there Christmas Eve, you know, it was, um, so that's real hard to say. Uh, but what I, and I don't think that, I don't think comics talk at smack on and off stage is the problem. It's the way that, that certain things that happen um, that will get you, that'll keep you from getting booked and keep you from getting yeah. the check and that keep you from getting the TV show or keep you from keeping the radio job. Um, those and, are, you know. And, and that's why, that's those are the things where I'm like, if you see somebody achieving things, especially stuff that they work for, and yeah. you're willingly going out of your way purposely to shut that down, you're a horrible person. I, I don't care. I, I, and that's just what... That's just the basic assessment of those people. And unfortunately, to go back to what you said earlier about unionizing, we are, it's weird because we are a unique breed comedians. Mm -hmm. We are a unique Mm -hmm. breed. Like we we have a gift. I always tell people this. I don't care if you, if you have the ability to make people laugh, especially people that you don't know, and, and they go into the room expecting you to do that job, you are a special person and you have a talent, you have a gift, because you can go learn to be a doctor, you can go learn to be a lawyer, you can go learn those jobs. You can't learn to be funny, especially for a living. You just can't learn that. Uh, uh, book learning, you can't do. And as far as the unionization of comedy, I remember years ago, this is, I was doing comedy, I was about two years in, in the Northwest Mm -hmm. Seattle. Mm -hmm. And there was this club booker, uh, Terry Taylor, I'm naming names, I don't give a fuck. Uh, And he used to book this club, Giggles. And there was another booker there who uh, would pay the comic 21 days after they did the gig. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sorry, let me correct that. They would mail the check off 21 days after the gig. So you would probably get it with 24, 25 days later after you did the gig. <laughs> Meanwhile, they had already gotten paid before you even did the gig that night. 
And then Terry would have people come host this show. And you know, as a host, you're there first and you leave last. You did mm-hmm. the whole, whole night. You're the pace of the show. So again, a year or two in, I'm like, hey, you know what? Hey, you guys, I'm talking to all the local comedians and everything. I'm like, hey, you know what we should do? Is we should at least require these people to one, pay us when we do the gig because we did the gig and we want to make money. Also, if you go host a show, because he wasn't paying people. He was just mm-hmm. giving you uh, he was just giving you the stage time. He wasn't even giving you free drinks. Yeah. So so I would tell these comics, hey, man, if we get together and just at least demand this, even if it's fifteen dollars for gas, whatever. Yeah. And I'm thinking this is in the best. It's not just me because I don't plan on staying in the Northwest. I'm leaving. But for you guys, everyone else, let's do this. And when I tell you all of those comics went to those bookers and told them, hey, you know what Ty's trying to do? He's trying to get us to 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 ask you guys for money for stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and I looked at them like, you motherfuckers. Really? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to help you guys. But it was my first lesson in how we can't come together, which is why we continue to get fucked over. This is why comic page stays the same. Even yeah, though- you know, in, in the UK, it was funny because I interviewed in my little thing, I interviewed a guy named um, Harry Hill, and he was saying in the UK, the comics can afford to send their kids to private school because it's a door split. Whereas, um, you know, as much as I love the clubs in, in the major cities, if you're, you know, you go to New York and you go to Los Angeles because because you're trying to get some TV, you know, credits and things like that. So you're building into the next level. But I mean, I know that um, I've been working out here. Jamie Masada has been paying us nicely. But other than that, you know, we get chicken wings and the wait staff was walking home with hundreds of dollars. And yeah. if the audience had any clue that the people they watched weren't making any money and the people and it's all it's the comics aren't making any money. And so when you're enduring all of that and you're not making any money and it goes on for like years, you know, it's funny. I had a clip of Tony Woods I just found. He was like, it's really hard to go to a club when I get $50 and it costs me $70 for um, the ticket, the parking ticket that that I parked race into the club. It's really hard to motivate me to want to go to that club. And and then it plays in your self-esteem and it plays in your self-worth. So you hope to get to that next level. But, you know, God help you if you do end up in a circumstance where, you know, somebody is abused or sexually abused or, um, you know, something that crosses that line, because then you're just not even getting that, you know, you'd be happy after all of what I've been through. I'm just happy to go on and get my little chicken wing spots and shut up because it took me, you know, uh, decades to re to come back to uh to be back in the back in the in the running again um and the other thing was too is i found a great a great manager and by great manager i mean i don't need like i'd rather have a good guy that people know is a good person that doesn't try to screw people than have somebody who's like the top big wig executive that let me tell you <laughs> yeah i had i had big name agencies and I had mm-hmm. big name management. And mm-hmm. when I tell you neither one of them, mm-hmm. when 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 it came time for them to put the work in, neither mm-hmm. one of them did what they were supposed to do. The people I'm with now, the management, the first conversation we had was I said, um, I want somebody that gives a fuck about Ty Barnett. Mm-hmm. Me. Let's not even talk about the comedy yet. Let's not talk about you care about me as a person because mm-hmm. if you get someone to rep you that cares about you, then they will work for you whether you're hot 
or whether you're not at that moment. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So to me, that's one of the biggest things. I always tell even new comics, new people who are looking for management or representation, I say, get somebody that cares about you because they're going to work for you as opposed to, hey, uh, did you send that check yet? You know, you, you don't want that type of person. So um, real quick, let me get a couple comments in here and then I know we got to wrap this up. Uh, mm -hmm. And by the way, if you guys have any questions, for her, please, please write my right now. Write questions. Ask her now. We only got a few more moments. Ask questions now. Uh, Corey says, I am so tired of hosting. I hate hosting, to be honest with you, because uh, I just don't I don't think I have the energy to host because I kind of just want to go do my set and get fuck off stage. I don't really want to. I love I love hosting. I, I, I write when I host and it lets me have more. It doesn't bother That's me. That's true. They're definitely <laughs> maybe a New York thing. Maybe a New York thing. Oh, New York is I always tell people it, it's a different world. They, they, yeah. I tell every comic, New York is a different world. There's New York and then the rest of the country, <laughs> period. That, that's just what it is. It's New York, everything, even Los Angeles included. As much as I've gotten it being in this city, there is there is no even close comparison between mm -hmm. the New York vibe and, and, and the Los Angeles vibe. It's on a whole, whole nother level. Um, Lamont says, uh, Ty, did you ever work? Albuquerque laughs. I did. The owner put on the menu to tip the wait staff well because the club's overhead is Jesus because the club's overhead is to fly comics in that's bananas exactly you see what I'm saying? and that now think about that the fact that that is an issue that used to be back in the day and I know we started this talking about Woody Allen but damn it let's just keep going with this <laughs> we'll close it out on that I promise you but this needs to be understood it used to be standard practice, hotel and uh, a hotel and airfare, period. Even yeah. if you were opening, it used yeah. to be this thing where they would call you, and I'm sure Lamont remembers this. They would call you if you if your let's say your gig started on a Thursday or Friday. They'd be like, okay, Maya, listen, we got your flight arranged. We're flying you in the night before because we need you to come in and do radio. Mm -hmm. So they had all that set up. You didn't have to worry about that. It may have not been the best flight, but it was a flight and hotel now they they've got it to where like I, I someone offered me a gig the other day to go to phoenix for two nights uh two nights nine hundred dollars um no airfare and no hotel it's because roger paul is sending people in and telling them to take anything and dropping the dropping the standard like you can't drop the standard um if you have a couple of bookers that will sell out and like sell you out and be like well they'll do they'll do a fraction of the price the problem is now they don't want to come back up so yeah. the problem is is a couple of the bookers and i'll say them loud and proud Rob, roger paul is one of them um that um you know, and, and I had a problem with him, too. He put me, made me go to some place with him, and, he, and they claimed that there was a show there, and there was no show. It was just him in a hotel room. I had, I had to deal with that nonsense as well. So, But what he was doing was he was putting someone in. So, like, you go to certain clubs, and they'd give you, like, you know, 1500 and then the travel. And then all of a sudden, he put someone in that wasn't really a headliner, and they'd go and do it for 600 with nothing. And then now you go back, and they won't, they won't pay you. And so it hurts the standard of comedy. It hurts comedy everywhere. It, so, it, it, it hurts the entire brand of comedy. Uh, I think this is a question for you specifically. Uh, Reggie says, uh, with cancel culture going on, does this seem harder for comedians to have freedom of speech? 
Um, actually, I don't. I don't think so. I think when you're funny, you can get away with stuff. When you're sensitive to, you just have to be sensitive to people's issues. I mean, look, I look like I do. I look like I'm white or Jewish, and um, I have a black mother and a, a father who is an immigrant, and I have. I am constantly having to rephrase because I'll go into places that are like the KKK capital, and then I'll go over to like the hood, and I'll do a set, and I have to re. You have to posture your words so the people are open, and I've always had to do that in my career. Sorry, you guys are just having to deal with it, but that's yeah. It's always about it's always about phrasing, and it's always about you know. So it doesn't. I I haven't had an ounce of it. I always thought it was just about your writing skills. I I, I don't. I honestly don't feel mm-hmm. like I don't feel like cancel culture is hurting good writers. I don't. I don't yeah. think it's hurting good writing. If you're a good writer, you. I came up in in Seattle where, as a black comic, you couldn't really. Get get on the main stage because they thought you were doing Dev Jam stuff. So you had mm-hmm. to have a good pin game in mm-hmm. order to write ma- like mainstream material that you can take in a lot of places. And then I learned how to just change the energy to where I can work a black room, white room, whatever room, you know, corporate or whatever. So I don't think so. I just think it just has to be better about what you're talking about. So, I mean, how you, how you write it. Zen says, uh, what about instead of comedians getting unionized um, comedy clubs, get unionized and all employees revenue share. Well, the problem with that Zen is that comedy clubs are greedy as fuck. And, and, and as, as Maya just said, there are comedians that will take the gig for 600 as opposed. And now you're talking, now you're talking about a pandemic on top of it. So exactly. everybody, everybody's struggling to stay open. Uh, a fraction of the attendance now, what 25%. Mm-hmm. So it's even, it's even worse now. So it, it's harder. Uh, and Corey says it just scares unfunny. <laughs> He says it just scares unfunny white comics. Cancel culture. Uh, so no, I think I think there's a lot of comedians that are also black comedians that are very prevalent that just don't want to that are brilliant, right? But have just gotten lazy and are not are not uh, posturing and doing the writing. Let me ask you something because uh, um, Patrice just recently had his uh, posthumous special release. Mm-hmm. I know Patrice and I, I know what he does on stage, what he did on stage. What do you think Patrice would, how do you think Patrice would fare today? Depends on where his state of mind was. If, if Patrice, um, continue, Patrice worked so much that Patrice liked to grow. Um, and I think that there's a point where it just has gotten, it's gotten too aggressive and too lazy. If he was at a point where he thought he was making so much money and he was able to be lazy with it, he might be lazy with it. Or he may be um, maybe grow with the times. It has to do with the amount of, you know, like when I had to restart comedy, I wasn't happy going to Tulsa, Oklahoma or Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is the the, uh, KKK capital. And they got guys with their, you know, Duck Dynasty gear on. And um, I'm having to go in and do a story about my family and talk about what I talk about, which is a lot of race and culture. You know, I wasn't happy about it, but what it did was it taught me how to um, not preach to the choir. In New York, I would say it one way and it learned, it, I had to learn to communicate better. I had to work harder. So I think it, it has to do with the state of mind of where a comedian is at in wanting to do the work. That's true. You know, that's really I, it. That's, that's another reason why I always encourage comedians to go to New York. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm always telling people, I'm like, hey, man. I get it if you want to be on television and movies that I get it. Totally understand it. But if you're talking about getting that those mic skills up to par, there is no place you can do that other than New York. 
None. Mm-hmm. There is no place. And I'm saying that Chicago included. I'm saying that LA included. I'm saying that there's no place because it forces you to see so many different cultures in the same area. The only other place is kind of close and depending on the room is Vegas because Vegas gets a lot of people that come in and out of town, depending on the room. I feel DC is a great comedy city. Um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot in DC cause New York made me so aggressive. I think, um, um, just cause I have so you, you just are constantly fighting with that audience. And, um, but when I went down to DC, I learned I could, do a little bit of storytelling because you get like the college culture and then you get the international cult- culture that's there for the politics. And then you also get, you know, it's a chocolate city. So you get kind of a bit of everything and they're a little bit, they're super smart in DC. So I kind of get, I kind of get a kick because even if I do political racial stuff and culturalism and complexionism, you're talking about a city that is, is highly aware because they're sitting in the, below the Mason Dixon line. So that's an interesting place to work as well. Nice, 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 yeah. nice. Um, okay, you guys, we're getting ready to wrap this up. Um, hold on, okay, so <laughs> so we're gonna wrap this up really quick to recap. Uh, the if, if you have not watched the Alan Farrell uh versus Farrell documentary, watch it, and then if you guys have any comments about it, please let us know, and then uh, I will read them on a future show and all that. Uh, as far as stand up goes. I, and I hate that I have to say this, but but male comics understand something, man. And it shouldn't take you having sisters or a mom or, or daughters or anything like that. This is a field where it's a unique field. And I, and I can't stress this enough. Anyone that is even halfway decent at their job as a comedian, male or female, this is a special place to be. And anybody out there making any of your fellow, your, your, your peers, feel bad or uncomfortable when you're supposed to be sharing that stage and sharing that energy, sharing that light with everyone, you're wrong for that. You're wrong for that. Whether you are just starting or whether you are a big name, you are wrong for that. And you need to change that mindset because that's, that stage should feel comfortable for everyone. That green room should feel comfortable for everyone. Those negotiations should feel comfortable for everyone. So uh, that's all I can say on that end. Um, I want to thank my guests. Maya DiGiorgio, uh, thank you for blessing the show. Thank you for blessing Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Million Dollar Maya. Um, and you can find me on Facebook as well. And um, I don't know when the next shows are going to be, but, you know, follow me. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, and I'm telling you, I was very excited to have you on. And we didn't know we were going to go deep into the comedy talk. So I'm glad that we actually did that because it was mm-hmm. Well, something a little bit uh, different. Oh, Tammy just says here, uh, as far as don't be an asshole across the board. Yeah, pretty basic. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I want to thank everyone that uh, that ro- uh, wrote in and watched the show. So I want to thank Todd. I want to thank J.E. I want to thank Derek, Corey, uh, Tammy, Sean, uh, Zen, of course, Alan, uh, Lamont, and see, did I miss anybody there? No, I think I got everybody in there. Reggie, of course, always. And um, yeah, so like I said, you guys, um, and next week, Ian will be back. We'll be back with another episode. And um, like I said, you guys, empathy. 
I know we, we, we didn't go deep into politics today. We didn't do that at all. But empathy is one of the things that applies to this as well, because like I said, this is an amazing field to be in. I, I, oh, really quick, last night I did my first live show in a long time, a long time. So, uh, so much so that I had to listen and kind of refresh my own set in my head as I'm driving to the gig. It was very weird <laughs> to hear. But here's, what, here's why I'm telling you this. As I'm watching the opening act perform and watching the people enjoy it, a smile came across my face because I'm like, I fucking love this. Like, I love this. Like, I love performing. I love stand-up comedy because everything that I've achieved in this has been rooted in stand-up. And for you, listening to your stories and listening to the people that you know and that you've been around and they, to hear that you still, cause you came back cause you have a love for this. Mm -hmm. You have a love for this. You know, you were away for a while. And let me ask you this and then we'll close it out. What is the thing you love the most about standup? I think the thing I love the most about standup is when I tell something that's very, very personal that has been on my own mind about my own life and the room laughs like I'm in the middle of a living room and we're all just cracking up. You'd be just totally honest and just, I didn't even know if this is funny. This is just what happened. And then the whole room just starts going. That to me is, is the highest, highest sense. It. I love it. Uh, I want to thank you again for joining the show. Uh, please, you guys follow her. She's hilarious. I'm not saying that just because she's on the show. Uh, and I love your energy. And, and uh, like I said, to everyone that watched the show, thank you very much. You can find me at ComedianTyBarnett.com, which has links to all the social media platforms. Uh, you can check out the show here, of course. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere uh, you can find podcasts. And uh, love each other. Man, it's easier than you think it is. <laughs> Way easier than you think it is. Anyway, Critical and Thinking Podcast, Ty Barnett, and for my special co-host, Maya DeJojo, we are out. Have a good one. Thank you.